a lot of the peer-to-peer -peer technology went through this problem of piracy. Peer-to-peer -peer delivery is actually not a new concept. We're seeing like a reinsurgence of that. But in a decentralized world, so now you are talking to your viewer and they're willing to give you 10 cents. You're gonna get that entire 10 cents. LifePeer is an open source project. I've been working on this for about a year. LifePeer is a peer-to-peer -peer decentralized video live streaming network incentivized by an Ethereum ERC20 token. For sure, the industry right now is very overhyped. And I think some people are taking advantage of the market. And, and that's really sad to see. I'm Matt, the organizer of the SF Video Technology Meetup and the Demux Conference. And I'm Steve, creator of VideoJS, the open source video player. And I'm Phil, the director of Media Technologies Engineering at Brightcove, previously building BBC iPlayer in London. And you're listening to Demuxed, a podcast for and by engineers working with video. Demux is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. We're always looking for topics, so if you have any suggestions or just want to tell us how wrong we are, you can find us on Twitter at Demuxed. Hey everybody, welcome to Demuxed again. Um, Phil couldn't be here today, unfortunately. He just bought a new house um, and is in the process of moving, so apparently all of his recording stuff is still somewhere in a pod or storage room. So, sorry Phil, we still love you. Um, but as a stand-in today, we have Nick Chadwick. Howdy. Been working with Nick for like five years at this point in some way, with a with a brief hiatus, but brief hiatus, brief hiatus. Uh, I was technically born in England too, so I think I'm a, a, a fine Phil stand-in. <laughs> also, want Phil to know that I just moved houses and I didn't lose any of my recording equipment. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I don't have any. Um, but Nick is Nick is probably uh, the best live video streaming source of information that I have. So Nick is gonna be Nick is gonna be our curmudgeon from the traditional live, live industry today. Curmudgeon, I like that term. Well, I, I'm yeah. I'd say I, I did some live stuff at Zencoder, did some live stuff at Brightcove, did some live stuff at Twitch. So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll take it. Nick also got Chadwick, the, by the way, he's also got the accent, so it keeps the legitimacy of our podcast up a little higher. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Can't have the accent score fall too low on any given episode. <laughs> um, so today. Uh, now that we've gone through all of that, today we have Eric Tang from LivePeer. You want to give us some information, Eric? Yeah, sure. Uh, I cannot speak in a British accent. So I'll stop <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I'm from New York, and, and um, LivePeer is an open source project. I've been working on this for about a year. Before that, uh, I've been working in the tech industry for about 10 years, worked at some startups, started a couple of companies before, had a short stint in San Francisco because one of our startups got acquired by Groupon. And uh, so I worked here for a little while and then moved back to New York. So yeah, let's let's start off with uh, a little bit of basics on what like traditional live looks like. Sure. I mean, let's roll back from traditional live because traditional live is like a broadcast system going to your television. That's not what we're talking about today, right? <laughs> we're talking about traditional live streaming over the internet infrastructure. <laughs> so, okay, you've got some camera, some giant setup or a small setup, but ultimately the traditional internet video protocol for ingest has been RTMP. So you're gonna take some source of video, some source of audio and code them into H.264, AAC, put them in an RTMP stream and send it somewhere. Traditionally, 
RTMP servers like Red5 or Wowzer or even Nginx. Um, if you're into some of the more open source stuff, there's there's a few different things out there. Then up in the cloud somewhere on somebody else's computer, you're gonna run a transcoder. We've we've kind of moved away from RTMP as a broadcast protocol over the internet. Um, and nowadays everyone's using something like HLS or Dash, which are segmented live formats. You're usually gonna use a few different rendition qualities to allow people to smoothly switch when their bandwidth can't handle their their the current uh, quality that they're streaming at. So server-side, we've got to do a bunch of work to get that one input stream in into a bunch of different output formats occasionally, different output bit rates and resolutions. Um, and then that's served over something like a CDN. Traditionally, you, you know, you'd, you'd send these files to Akamai or something like Fastly and then deliver that to your end users as a stream. So if you're looking at something like Twitch, they they might uh, use their own CDN or have their own ingest servers or something like that. But the the high level is the same. You have some unique identifier for your stream that lets you broadcast, and then a little bit of infrastructure around it that also monitors whether or not the stream is currently live or not, and then HLS or Dash and a player. And that's kind of the state of the art right now for live streaming over the interwebs. Well put. <laughs> <laughs> So in some of that, um, I mean, already today, we've seen some people start moving to peer-to-peer delivery or hybrid peer-to-peer delivery. Um, some people even touched on it yesterday during Demuxed. You know, companies like Streamroot and Peer5 are touching on that. I think even some like bigger companies have started exploring the space as well. I mean, so yeah, what what is what is peer-to-peer delivery, um, and how's it being used in the wild right now, and how 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 do you see that? Uh, transitioning in the future, I guess. I mean, I would say peer-to-peer delivery is actually not a new concept. We we're seeing like a reinsurgence of that um, in the in the past few years. Peer-to-peer technology wave really started back in the 2000s uh, when um, I think I, w- I would say BitTorrent being the the biggest one. Um, and and during that wave of technology, we saw a lot of really interesting peer-to-peer use cases. Even in video, like Skype was at the very beginning a peer-to-peer um, solution. And like they don't advertise that, so you you never hear about it. Through that period, a lot of the peer-to-peer technology kind of went through this problem of of piracy, and there was you know there was a big industry backlash from uh, from the from the content rights um, industry that essentially killed a lot of the businesses uh, in this space. And also, it's just people never figured out a good enough business model that would kind of like bypass this problem. So I would say in the past few years, the blockchain world really gave peer-to-peer technology, a new, um, I would say blockchain and WebRTC, yeah, two think, technologies together, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really gave, um, gave peer-to-peer like a new, a new second life. And, and it's now a super vibrant um, ecosystem with a lot of really interesting companies and projects working on, working on cool things. Um, you know, we, you see yesterday, um, Peer5 and, and Streamroot, they're working on really cool things, right? Like they're essentially passing the packets around, especially in a live use case where everyone is watching the same stream. It makes a lot of sense to not get all of your packets from the same origin. And actually extending on, on your, your brief little history there, I think that's super interesting. What we saw back in like 2010s, sorry, early 2000s? What do we even call that? <laughs> right? Yeah, after I the first bubble. The thing after the <laughs> 90s. After the first bubble, there you go. Um, so like there, to me, the Skype versus torrent use case is is really informative to dig into just a little bit more because the reasoning that Skype was using for doing peer-to-peer delivery was to improve performance mainly. That was their their reasoning. And also protocols like SIP or uh, 
uh, things like ICE were enabling peer-to-peer -peer direct calling. Um, that use case is more around if I get a direct path, I can improve the quality of our connection. Whereas something like a torrent was peer-to-peer -peer for a completely different reason. Let's say it nicely, let's say that the reason they were doing it was cost, right? <laughs> you don't want to store gigabytes of Linux ISOs on your servers and have everyone downloading them directly over HTTP or FTP. If you can use a torrent file, you can let your users share their bandwidth and reduce the cost of actually hosting that content. So there's kind of those two approaches to it. I think that's a really interesting way to, look, to frame some of our modern sort of usages and, and looking at why people are interested in peer-to-peer -peer is there is that set of users that are interested in it for reducing cost and there's that set of users that are interested in it for improving quality. Absolutely, um, especially when you look at the world, um, the infrastructure of the internet in the world, it's a very, very fragmented and broken system. The fact that it even works at all, it's like a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so when you have all these disparate networks, that have different capabilities. Peer-to-peer -peer comes in really handy. For example, in Brazil, there hasn't been any great CDN solutions. So to deliver video at all, you're forced to use peer-to-peer -peer solutions. So like the guys at Global, they had they were forced to create these these cool solutions to to do peer-to-peer. -peer. This was like six, seven years ago. I think you touched on a point that's been really interesting to watch around some of this peer-to-peer -peer delivery stuff, where you have a dorm in a in a region with traditionally really bad. So you have one small pipe into a, a fairly large dormitory. It's really useful uh, once you're inside that pipe to share your content across everybody else inside your intranet. Because you can actually get pretty good bandwidth between everybody in the in the rooms, but your actual link to the internet itself can suck. So it's been an interesting use case out of some of this. Yeah, and I will say another interesting, I think, lesson that we learned from, from the last wave is, is that the scalability of the network um, is really critical. And I, I would say, you know, the, a lot of the live use cases did not get the scalability right. And that's, that's a lot of the reasons why people ended up switching to other solutions. Like Spotify started using peer-to-peer -peer solutions to deliver songs to one another but uh, to, between the peers. And they were doing that underneath the hood, like no one knew about it. It turned out that it really affected their time to start so they had to take it away and, and mm -hmm. switch back to the to, to the traditional solution. For torrents, it worked because there was no there, there was no this like life constraint that, that you need, right? You can sit there for for a long time and just wait for the file to come back. And if you don't care about the latency and you, you only wanted to save bandwidth, that really made sense. I think in the protocol design, this wave of technology is is you know so, uh, trying to solve some of these fundamental scalability and incentives issues so that we can get around this um, this issue of latency and actually deliver good quality in a live uh, environment. Tangentially, we've touched on the concept of decentralization, um, which has been a bit of a buzzword for the last five years specifically, right? Where we've really started to talk about some of this stuff around like peer-to-peer -peer delivery and. Uh, can you name a successful? decentralized project. I mean, I think BitTorrent is fairly the second one. <laughs> Does BitTorrent torrent count for two? or It counts for one. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say WebTorrent. <laughs> Ultimately, Bitcoin and Ethereum. It's hard not to say that those aren't successful decentralized projects. I mean, it's up for debate even like what they do right now and what the utility is, but they're clearly successful from the fact of last time I heard, I don't know if this is, if this is true or just like some Reddit gimmick thing, but, uh, 
Bitcoin now makes up the largest compute network in history. Is that true? Certainly by hash power, yes. And certainly by energy consumption. (laughs) 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 Like, so yeah, I, I struggled to name like successful decentralized companies. Is that because of a utility problem? Is that because of an application problem? Is that network dynamics and politics issues? Um, but what what exactly do we mean when we talk about decentralization? Because I think there's you can decentralize an application, but it's still your you're under your control. So it's centralized, just you've federated server like IRC. You know what I mean? But what is it? What do we mean when we say it? Um, and why is why is it important? I would say the internet is a decentralized system, and in that sense, it's very successful, right? <laughs> like we have different ISPs who own different uh, different regions in the world, and they deliver packets. They help each other out, and they have different deals. and And it's uh, like in my mind, decentralization is some kind of common ground that people get together, and and you know nobody owns the whole system. Everyone kind of owns their own own piece, but they decide on a a set of rules to work together. And, and that, that, that's like a very large, uh, very high level, right? Uh, when it comes to a piece of technology, um, I think decentralization means agreeing on a specific technical protocol that, that kind of makes, um, kind of makes the rules in place and unchangeable, right? And that's, that, that, and that, that's what in, introduces the efficiency um, of computing, and, and you don't have to have people talking about talking talking about stuff with each other, and just have computers do this um, protocol exchange, and that's what that's that's what's powerful about this, uh, decentralization. So, in terms of BitTorrent, right, that's what they did right. And I would say the thing about decentralization is it's hard to have one company own that thing, right? And and I would say for you know entrepreneurs and especially us in Silicon Valley, like the, the model has always been, let's start a company and let's create some project and let's raise money and let's you know, grow this company to a bigger, bigger uh, scale. And, and I'm not sure if that's a great fit for a pure decentralized uh, piece of technology. So can you talk about life here then? I mean, <laughs> what, what are you doing if not that? Yes, uh, sure. And, and, and of course, this, we're in the very early days, right? So, so, uh, <laughs> and we're also in the very early days of this new wave of decentralization. Um, so that's, that's my caveat. <laughs> but what we're, what we're trying to do today is, is to create somewhat of a software foundation, right? And we have seen this happen once with the Ethereum Foundation. Uh, where they, they are less of a company. They're pretty much a software foundation. They're not based in the U.S. Uh, it turns out you cannot have a software foundation in the U.S. at all. Aside from, from regulatory hurdles, um, what we're trying to do is really just to be the maintainer of this piece of open source software. And because of the existence of token, that allows us to survive and that allows us, uh, that kind of funds the development of this protocol. And just like the Ethereum Foundation, I think they held on to about six to seven percent of the of the token, and they gave away the rest, right? And and that aligns your incentive with everybody who holds the token, and they will help you increase the value of the token. And over time, the token increases in value. You can sell small bits of that to fund the development of your technology, and your entire goal becomes just to make this technology as as good as possible, so that the entire ecosystem benefits. And that benefits you as well. So this is there's like a really great alignment. Well, can we take a step back and talk about what exactly LivePeer does? Like uh, how, how yeah. like what these tokens are, yeah. how like 
how your live streaming situation works. Yeah, sure. Um, LifePeer is a is a peer to peer decentralized um, video live streaming network uh, incentivized by an Ethereum ERC twenty token, and and that's a mouthful. And and what that means is basically um, just like um, at, at at the core, LivePeer is really just a set of protocols. Uh, it's it's an agreement between um, computing nodes that says if I do this for the network, then I will get compensated by the network for this for this amount of tokens, and that is printed in the in in the protocol itself. No one can change it. Anyone understands it, um, and there is a market dynamic for the price to to be set. And and there you just you just have the open market kind of work as magic, and and you have a you, you have a you have a price. And the software that we build is basically a client for that protocol, similar to BitTorrent, have different BitTorrent clients that you can run your computer. Um, and, and the difference between this and BitTorrent, I would say, is, is that BitTorrent does not have a token. I would say if BitTorrent had a token, it would probably have had figured out a really great business model to allow the business to thrive. Right? Going back to how the technology works, anyone can run a node to do either transcoding or delivery of the live stream that any other person sends in and they get compensated for the work that they do. And what the protocol does is it keeps everyone honest. So it, it will verify that the work that someone has done is correct in a cryptographically secure way so that everyone knows that you have done the right work. And if you have not done the right work, the protocol punishes you. Uh, so it disincentivizes bad behavior in the network, and so that everyone kind of stays honest and does good work for the uh, for the network, and it scales, uh, and and everyone's kind of happy. So talk me through it. Okay, so I, I talk through the traditional live streaming approach. <laughs> I've got yeah. my thing I want to live stream, yep. and I I push an RTMP feed somewhere. Um, I learn about a stream, be it on Twitch, be it on YouTube, somewhere else that I want to watch, and I pull it down from a CDN. How is live peer different? Where does it? How does it change that flow? What do I do if I want to go live? <laughs> so the input is still RTMP stream, right? Um, you, so you use OBS on your computer and you broadcast that stream into the network. Now the network has, maybe it'll have a gateway to, to provide a URL so that you can send it in. Maybe you just know, already know some, um, some nodes that will, um, that will send your, uh, you'll send your stream to the rest of the network and they, they just give you an IP. Or you can run a node on your local computer and just send it directly to that node, right? So anyways, the, the point is the stream gets into the network somehow through a node. Um, and at that time, um, the network basically does this election um, so, and figures out a transcoder to do the work for you. Uh, and, this, and, and this election is basically through um, the price that you're willing to pay and the price that every transcoder in the network decides to charge. Right, so you have this mark. Essentially, you have almost have this order book, kind of like a stock market. Uh, you have the ask price, you have a call price, uh, and and when this transaction happens, uh, then the, then the transcoding node starts to subscribe the stream from you, and they'll start transcoding and creating, a, you know, in this case, an HLS stream, uh, and and it'll, they'll they'll either publish it into um, onto a, another gateway so people can watch it or they will if people wanted to watch in a peer-to-peer -peer way they can just send it directly to to them okay so then when i want to watch i either have to go to this gateway and connect to that transcoder like right. the, the transcoder needs to publish it to either 
some something like a CDN or something like a torrent to me directly. Right. So the, the the transcoder basically gives you the publisher a way to get the video, right? And then it's your job to tell everyone who wants to watch the video, here's how to watch the video. Okay, so LivePeer is really about solving the transcoding resource problem, right? If I'm if I'm someone like Twitch, I have resources dedicated to transcoding your stream and, and then pushing it to a, to a CDN. And LivePeer is, is doing that part of it. It's not necessarily the distribution network of the content. I still, as a broadcaster, need to understand how my users are going to be getting this content and, and how I'm going to be uh, storing it and telling them about it. Yeah. So LivePeer, as it stands today, is basically a transcoding market. Right. right? But um, so we, we broke down the, the project into, the, into six different phases. Uh, we're now in the phase one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in phase three, uh, we will be introducing incentives to, to do uh, relaying, um, to do video relaying. And, and let, let me just step, step back and say that um, to create this market, there are a couple of really important um, things that you have to get right. One is, you know, why are people running these transcoding nodes? Right. And and it's not and you, you can say that, yeah, like the, the transcoding nodes are getting paid by the broad, uh, by the broadcaster and therefore they make a little bit of the fee. Um, but that might not be enough of incentive to create a, a large scale. Right. So, but if you look at other blockchain projects and this is, I think, the really magical thing about the blockchain is that you can create any economic incentive you want to incentivize a certain behavior. Right in the network, in, some, in in your all of your participants. So, if the behavior that we want for this network, for the transcoding network, is for more transcoders to join the network and provide more band, more more scalability for the network, what we do is we the network itself will incentivize the the transcoders to come and join the network. So what that means is the network actually mints new tokens to award uh, transcoders, so that it's the transcoders don't get paid for just the fees they make from the broadcaster, but they also make money from the network as a whole hmm. for providing this for providing this value, right? And this is the same thing as um, in, in Bitcoin. When, when the Bitcoin miners validate transactions, they make fees from everybody who sends their transactions in, right? So every time you create a Bitcoin transaction, you pay a little fee. But the miner also gets a cut from the network as the network mints new token. And the, and the miner who verifies the transaction gets that reward. And that's what kind of incentivizes all these miners to join the network. And you create this, the biggest, you know, that we talked about, the biggest uh, com computing cl cluster ever exists in, in history. So that's, that's something really cool. And so, so that kind of comes down to this idea of, of inflation, right? Mm -hmm. So in markets, we, we have inflation. Uh, the inflation, you know, the Fed uses inflation to in incentivize certain behavior. It just happens that they don't publish that beforehand and they just say it <laughs> and it kind of happens. But for, for the blockchain, you know, everyone knows the, and the, and the rules are all in code and, and it's not going to, it's not going to get changed. So talk me through a little bit about the security implications of this. So I have a live stream I want to publish. Um, first of all, how are you going to validate that I'm actually as a transcoder doing the work? Yes. Right, I've got X264 on my machine yep. and I sneak a little little fast setting in there rather than a medium <laughs> one. Well, right. How do you validate a transcoded video frame? Yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of the core of the protocol is to is to make sure that people are actually doing the right work. And and in the ideal world, 
um, you know, since we're using Ethereum, right, you can just do all of this stuff in a smart contract in Ethereum, and Ethereum will validate that you're actually doing the right work, and that's a it. A smart contract X264 encoder? It's <laughs> maybe not for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> but so what we, what we did is we figured out a way to, um, to basically securely uh, sample your stream so that we're not validating the entire stream. We're, valid we're validating maybe one out of 100 packets, right? Or one, one, one out of 100 frames. And we have a decentralized verification system so that the decentralized verification system runs the same transcoding that you as the transcoder has run. And we compare the hashes on chain. Now, the hash comparison is much, much cheaper than running the actual transcoder, right? Um, so now the problem comes down to how can we trust the validator, right? How can we trust the verifier who's doing the verification work? And, and because, you know, if I was a transcoder and I want to do bad work, I can just run a verification, verification node and verify my own work and, you know, and I can cheat, right? Are you essentially duplicating the work then too? So duplicating the work for uh, for one out of say one hundred um, fr frames. Okay. Right. So there you have a decentralized um, <laughs> verifier election system. Um, so we're planning to use this um, project called Truebit, which is a really really cool uh, Ethereum project that basically gives you this um, interface of a computation ver verification module so that anyone can run an offline piece of computation and have it verified on chain. So that kind of gets around the, the scalability issue for Ethereum. But until that project is um, live and, and we're, you know, we're working with them closely and we're, helping, we're, we're trying to help them to, to get this um, live, and we're using this thing called Oracleize uh, which is a a project from uh, London, I think, and they uh, they're another project that kind of does this in a in a slightly more centralized way. Uh, they I think they basically spin up an AWS node uh, in a secure way, and you give them a Docker instant, uh, you give them a Docker image that has your your code in it. It runs it, spits back the result on chain, and you verify that uh, the result on chain to make sure everything is fine. Right. And when I say you, I mean a participant uh, and a transcoder, right? Life here as an organization, we don't run any software. We just write the software and people who participate are doing this. How do you pass in encoder settings, for example, or do you? Is this just when you, when you use LivePeer, you guys say, here are the bit rates that we produce on our network, take it or leave it? Or when I say I want to start a live stream, here are the settings I would like, because that could also change that could that could change the um, pricing dynamic for the encoders drastically, right? Absolutely. If, you, if you're just saying I want one rendition of you know 540p, yeah, uh, at at half a bit. 540p is a, a fun resolution. There. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure I've heard about that one before. Well, that's my favorite. Less, slightly less than 720. <laughs> when I when I wasn't pirating movies, that was always the uh, um. the. Oh, is that DVD native resolution? It looked fine on the TV that I had that only maxed out at 720 anyway, yeah. so no. when I wasn't pirating movies at the time. It's ripping them for your own personal use. Yes, exactly. Fair use, man. Fair use. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so let's talk through that. Like, how does this, how does that work when you, do you say, here's the, here's the, here's what we deliver on our network. Here's right. what we, here's what we encode to. And also, here's what you can send us because that changes the equation too. How, how do you guys handle that? Right, so the network itself essentially becomes a marketplace, right? Like any encoder can join a network and they can say, 
you know, these are the these are the settings that we provide, um, and and anyone can any broadcaster can pick certain settings, and and the the protocol itself essentially just matches the supply with the demand, and and so the encoder settings can be put in now. Of course, for Ethereum today, you cannot put too much data onto the onto the onto the chain. Otherwise, it gets really expensive. So even with um, you know if you know we, we saw yesterday at the at the Twitch uh, presentation, they had this huge uh, command line um, <laughs> string that they they used to transcode the <laughs> the video. And even for that for that string, it would be too big for the Ethereum um, network to handle per request. So um, so right now, what we do is we do preset settings and you you just have an identifier for those settings and um, yeah and, and the, that makes sense yeah it seems it seems like you would want to guarantee something along the lines of like they are using ffmpeg or something because you do yeah. want some level of consistency between yep. all of these things and you can't guarantee that unless you're actually using the same tool absolutely right? yeah so that's that's um that that's one of the hurdles that that we have to cross uh which is the bit the bit level consistency, right? Because we're taking a hash of the out of the output chunk, so I have to make sure every single bit is uh, is is the same, um, and and that just comes down to the software version uh, and the and the exact same setting that that you run. So you know when when you're a transcoder and you come online, you know you have to run a bunch of tests to make sure you're actually running the same software that the that the broadcaster uh, expects. Mm, yeah, interesting. Uh, doing them at arbitrary time slices would be exceptionally challenging right. because the encoder might be deterministic given a certain input sequence, but it's not going to be deterministic if you randomly subsample the input sequence. That's going to be a big challenge. You might want to look at using something like a VMAF validator instead, where basically you take a frame from the original stream, uh, take a frame from the uh, generated stream, run them through a, a VMAF tool, and you can basically say, okay, if you're outputting all black, then your stream's no good, and this is the VMAP that we're getting from you, and put put that onto the blockchain, and that way you can say, okay, this this peer is consistently delivering lower scores than we anticipate given their stream quality. That way you're you're getting around that that determinism issue by basically saying, well, we ran an encoder with similar settings, we got a VMAP that was way higher than the VMAP we got from your stream, you're cheating. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, so 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 that comes down to you know the difference between like a heuristic-based verification versus like a deterministic verification, right? And um, and you know we're starting out uh, starting off with the the easier solution, which is deterministic. And, and I think the heuristics are are really really interesting fields because that's that also makes the verification work a lot cheaper. Right, uh, which is good for the network. The fact that we are an open source project means anyone can contribute. Uh, <laughs> Patch is welcome. <laughs> <laughs> would running would running VMAF actually be cheaper than than checking the little, the segments? Like, depends on how optimized your implementation is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but actually, I, I might want to roll back something I just said. If you are outputting an HLS stream with like two second segments or four second segments. You could do it and you could subsample randomly and say, okay, I'm going to re-encode this entire segment with the software. If you did the entire segment, then it should be deterministic. Yeah, so that's what we do now. Yes, we just basically pass the, the segment and then you just do it on the segment. That could work. Yeah. Might not be the most scalable solution, but we're going to get there. We're going to, the, the, that's, that, that actually touch, touches on the fact that uh, why we are uh, we are decentralized, right? Is is now 
all of a sudden, we have all these participants, you have all these stakeholders in your project who all want your projects to succeed. And, and the same as Ethereum, right? They, when they started out, it was three guys like checking code, checking in code across the world. And people, more people found out about it, more people got involved. And now I just know so many, so many smart hackers working on Ethereum full time because they got some tokens early on and they, their token appreciated so much and they have dedicated their life now to make Ethereum better. So I think the next question I would ask is, what has the response been from the old world? We've got it up next on our, <laughs> our slide there. There are other tokens doing similar things, right? You've got Gollum as kind of yep. one of the older ones. That's a distributed, also a distributed compute um, network. They focus generally on 3D rendering. Recently, Render Token, um, which very similar to Gollum, also typically used for 3D rendering. So both of those seem like it's in the same vein. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, big differentiator here that you're specifically creating like essentially just RTMP, like a, a marketplace for uh, getting an RTMP ingest point and then the transcode behind that. Is that? Yeah, I mean, there are, you know, there's actually a bunch of projects working on different um, different parts of the, you know, tech infrastructure stack, right? You have, you know, the, Gollum, the Gollums and the, the Otoy that we mentioned. Uh, even Filecoin and, and Swarm is working on um, file storage, which is another important piece of computing infrastructure. Uh, you can say that Ethereum is, is, you know, they call themselves the world computer. It's for calculation and computing. And I think over the very, very long term, everything kind of emerges. And I would be so happy if there was a common infrastructure that all we have to do is write an algorithm and put it into the air and it just works for everyone. <laughs> and, and that would be amazing, right? <laughs> uh, but until that happens, you know, the, we have to build solutions to solve these problems. And you, know, you guys know how complex the video stack is. Like I've, I've been through three days of this and it's like, it's insane. Like it makes my brain hurt, right? So. So I think there's going to be enough problems for, for all of these different use cases to solve for the blockchain, which means we have to basically rewrite the entire stack. And that's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of, a lot of men, uh, manpower. You know, like uh, Vitalik did a, did a talk at Disrupt SF um, a, a couple months ago, maybe, maybe a couple weeks ago. And he said, you know, like, Ethereum is going to take at least 10 years to mature. And, and it's going to take a long time. So... So I think all of these projects have their place, and and we're all we're all helping each other, and we're all using our each other's libraries just to just to make this ecosystem grow. As a nerd, I'm always very interested in everything that's going on in the, the crypto world, right? That's um, super buzzy right now. It does feel a lot like when I see a lot of these projects, just like this is reinventing a wheel that I didn't know was broken. <laughs> and sometimes sometimes it actually is, right? Sometimes there is a real improvement. Sometimes with some of these things, it feels like somebody just slapped an ICO uh, white paper on a perfectly fine existing problem and then raised a bunch of money. And you know, you know what I mean? Like right, sometimes right, yeah. sometimes yeah. some of these things feel a little bit disingenuous. But I'm curious, like that that leads nicely into how does the old guard feel about this? Because I think some people could say like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think some people would argue it is broken. We need to fix it. I think other people would argue there are some problems here, but like, is this blockchain the solution? Because, you know, I, I think that on the other side of things, there is just the world that's just like rub some blockchain on it. Anything, <laughs> right? Like yeah, yeah. blockchain light switches, like, you know, so I'm curious <laughs> how, sure. how, what the response has been from kind of the, the old world here. 
By the way, I heard uh, recently heard a, uh, a a dental blockchain project, <laughs> uh, which is literally a blockchain for the dental industry. What? And they um, they want ICO and pr- doing pretty well in the in the in the in the marketplace. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, let, let me take a step back and say, you know, for sure the industry right now is very over overhyped. Right? There's a lot of enthusiasm um, in in the space and and I think some people are taking advantage of the market and and that's really sad to see for someone who's been in this space for a while you know but it's just like any market right like when a market becomes overhyped then bad actors come in and then you, you go through like a boom and bust and then and well, then the great technology. Also, the government has a tendency to step in. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm 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 happy to see good regulations come in because right now we're essentially operating in a very uncertain market right and and the more certainty we have the better as project maintainers as operators we we, we then we know the rules to operate then we can push our projects forward in a in a much better more stable way so i, I, I welcome that but you know l- looking at the dot-com bubble right it's the same thing like people got really excited about technology and in the internet invested way too much money in stupid projects and a lot of them went away and you know the market crashed and that was sad because of the scale that it that it had happened right it's not just you know like rich people lost their money right it's a lot of people really lost their like lives life savings and that was very sad and so i hope that the crypto world doesn't get to that point but i do i, I do hope that you know there <laughs> there may be a market uh, a steady correction that happens over time so that the bad projects can be weeded out and and the good technologies prevail because i really believe that that the blockchain technology in a whole um, is kind of the next the, the next enabler of scalability um, for for the internet in, as a whole. So, is anyone using uh, your your stack yet in in the <laughs> real world? Uh, we have a test network that's live, uh, and we have some uh, interesting devel- uh, p- developers who are really interested in doing this. and And I think it's going to take a while for uh, for the traditional uh, video industry to to start embracing decentralized technologies, and that's okay. Uh, because there's already a very lively and burden- burdening um, decentralized ecosystem where people are writing completely decentralized applications to run um, to run only on people's end, uh, end devices and have no backend servers. Right, the entire backend is just the blockchain, which uh, nobody owns. And when you're working in this environment, and if you want to have video, like you have to use LivePeer. There's there's no other solution. <laughs> you're, you're gonna corner the corner the market <laughs> from the video perspective. I mean, you've been at Foms for two days and then Demux for a day. I'm sure you talked to some people in the industry about about this. Um, what's the response been? How what have, what have any takeaways, thoughts? Anybody slapped you? Let's, let's <laughs> um, I think I think people are excited. I I don't think. I don't think the decentralized world is a threat to um, the central uh, to to the traditional video industry at all because it's a, it's just a completely different use case. And I would say, if anything, it's the large the large content platforms that might get threatened yeah, most immediately because 
Uh, if you if you think about you know if if I was creating video on one of these plat one one of these pl big platforms, whether it's you know YouTube or Facebook, I kind of don't have a lot of control of how I want to engage with my audience, and and I'm basically at the mercy of of these big platforms, and they can do whatever they want. They can sh they can censor me. They can shut me down. They can take as much of the ad dollars <laughs> as they want, right? Mm. And they they completely control the situation. I have no power at all as a content creator. But in a decentralized world, that completely changes, right? So now, so now you are talking to your viewer in a very direct peer to peer way, um, and and if and if they can find your content and they're willing to give you ten cents, you're gonna get that entire ten cents. Right, and th and that's a big change for for these content creators. So so I know a lot of um, you know internet content creators are are looking into the blockchain space a lot. That that is the key, though. If they can find your content, that's kind of what the big platforms bring today. Is is they bring the audience, right? Absolutely. And so there's there's that transition that has to be like the first benefit is just the cost, mm -hmm. right? Like it's going to be way cheaper, I would assume, using this these technologies. And then if somebody can build a platform that helps then bring the audience in in this kind of world, then then that's when you can really see these benefits, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. And, and and there are projects in this space that are solving that specific problem, right? Which is slightly different than from what we're solving. We're just solving it from an infrastructure level and make the video tech work. Um, but the creator incentive is, is a slightly different problem. And, um, and I know this project called uh, Stream Token, I think. Um, they're 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 actually based out here, hmm. uh, and they they're working on a, a, a streaming token that will basically connect the creator directly with the viewers. And I think I think that's a that's a pretty cool project. Hmm. Well, it's a bold vision. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bold vision. Yes, yeah, so if I'm hearing this right, is this is this future like 20 years from now? I'm gonna upload a video. It's gonna get transcoded with something like LivePeer. It's gonna host it on something like the Filecoin thing. It's gonna get delivered via like WebRTC, like something like Peer5 is doing, and then maybe the stream token is involved, and it's all going to be just this decentralized video infrastructure across the board. Is that what I can expect? One day, I hope, right? <laughs> and, 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 and if you imagine, right, uh, if the internet infrastructure was really smart, right, if the, if the hosting and everything was not owned by anybody and it was really smart and it knew how to do all this stuff, that's kind of what you get, right? Is you upload some video and it just does its magic and you and, and you, you see on the other side. Um, and I, I don't think that's crazy to, to kind of like hope for. <laughs> cool. Okay, well, thank you so much, Eric. This has been uh, this has been really interesting. I'm excited to one day welcome my decentralized overlords. Um, <laughs> you could be but. a participant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the decentralized bus is just going to run me over to be quite honest. But, <laughs> um, but I look forward to decentralized demux um, where everybody's going to buy their demuxed coins. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Right. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. That's all we have for today. But as always, we'd love to hear what you thought, even if you disagree. So please reach out on Twitter at demuxed. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 